I think that yes, technology exposes all the terrible things about us and also all the amazing things about us as well. But it's important to always be critical and always to be looking at the other side of things and the unsaid things and the hidden things, which is what psychoanalysis is so great at doing is unearthing all the terrible, scary things about humans, about culture, but also about ourselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Parton, and you are listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio. This week, our guest is philosopher and psychoanalytical theorist Isabel Miller, who recently released her book, The Psychoanalysis of Artificial Intelligence, in which she explores the much-neglected role of enjoyment and psychoanalysis in the field of AI. Throughout the book, Isabel uses the sex bot as a vocal point of discussion, which allows her to emphasize the role of gender, sex, and a body as it relates to the deeper questions that AI is revealing to us about humanity. In this conversation, we explore these notions of Isabel's book, first by establishing an understanding of psychoanalysis, and then we go through themes such as the importance of the body, the role of the female artificial intelligence in film, and the cultural and philosophical importance of film, the dominance of men in the creation of AI, and ultimately what AI can teach us about ourselves. For fans of philosophy and psychoanalysis, I can't recommend this episode enough as Isabel is obviously well-versed on the subject. And for those of you who might be less familiar with these subjects, perhaps this conversation will spark your interest. So without further ado, everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Isabel Miller. Well, let's jump into the the psychoanalysis of artificial intelligence, which is the name of the book that you uh, released in 2021. What was the motivation that made you want to write this book? My um, initial background is philosophy and psychoanalysis. And so, you know, I I was already in the field of thinking about um, human subjectivity and why, what motivates our actions and the question of, of, um, being and thinking and enjoyment and all of these concepts tricky concepts that um come about through uh, the study of psychoanalysis and philosophy together and so when i first started uh my doctoral project which this book was a product of um i i first was interested in artificial intelligence because it seemed to me to be a, a field where there was so many um sort of psychoanalytic and philosophical faux pas going on as it were that um were just ripe for for examination and and whilst i'd seen lots of um kinds of partial treatments of things like for example as you brought up the use of the female voice or um our obsession with um certain forms of feminized technologies this wasn't exactly my entry point um mine was a sort of a little bit more i suppose um, structural uh, in a sense that I was interested in the relationship between psychoanalysis and artificial intelligence as two fields which um, intersect or have an excellent relationship to each other. Excellent is a term in psychoanalysis that means um, both inside and outside um, but also excellent refers to the way that in psychoanalysis we think about the question of um, the unconscious 
that the unconscious is something which is both inside, but more fundamentally outside because it's structured by the language and the symbolic structures around us, the laws, the, 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 um, the uh, traditions, the history that make us uh, act in certain ways. So there is um, a huge amount of sort of theoretical baggage to go into before I would begin to explain how the question started. Um, I mean, I won't give you all the sort of philosophical backdrop because I don't know whether that's necessarily what you're interested in. But what I will say is that I first started asking the question about why uh, artificial intelligence has not been properly theorized by um, philosophy. And then I started to realize that the philosophers who had looked into to artificial intelligence um, were often not engaging with their position as psychoanalytic subjects within this um, uh, field. So on the one hand, it's a sort of um, a disciplinary and methodological project that interrogates how to ask these questions. And on the other hand, it's a genuine um, kind of speculative um, foray into looking at the ways that our fantasies about, about um, artificial intelligence historically have grown into um, real actual technology that exists and how the relationship between fantasy and reality is part and parcel of like, um, artificial intelligence. And, and what are some of those faux pas that you saw happening in the artificial intelligence space that psychoanalytic uh, psychoanalysis addresses? And, and to that point, could you just briefly kind of um, explain what maybe what psychoanalysis is as well, just for people who might not be fully familiar with the term? Yeah. So you just the second thing you said was like um, the longest question that <laughs> how how long have you got to explain what psychoanalysis is? Um, so first of all. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, that that probably take us the whole hour. So, um, in terms of the the question of how, you know, philosophy or, you know, philosophy is a very very broad term. I'm using it um, in inverted commas because you know within philosophy you have very many different approaches. But in terms of the way that popular philosophy has often engaged with the the field of AI. Um, it takes for granted lots of questions about what artificial intelligence actually means. And, you know, the fact that we have this idea of intelligence as if it's this gestalt of a, a human subject that is a fully formed um, intelligent being that can then be replicated and um, ad infinitum. And then we have various different versions of this so-called human intelligence. So the first thing that I was interested in doing is looking at the concept of intelligence itself, never mind the artificial part, and analyzing how that um, idea has developed over time, the, the history and the genealogy of the concept, where it comes from philosophically, and looking into the different ways that uh, today there are lots of sleights of hand that go on when we talk about AI, because, you know, obviously people within the field of AI know very well all of the distinctions between symbolic AI and neural networks and the difference between trying to replicate a mind versus trying to replicate a brain. But for people outside of AI who, who hear all the stories about what AI is doing and just go, oh God, AI is coming and it's going to be scary and it's taking over, you know, people within AI laugh because they think, well, but you don't really understand what we're talking about. And whilst, you know, that is true that there's lots of sort of misapprehensions about 
what is actually happening in the field of AI. Uh, it doesn't mean that actually in the field of AI, people in AI also don't necessarily, aren't that self-reflective on what they're talking about when it comes to this future of the singularity and these fantastical ideas about the coming age of, you know, when they, when, when they all um, come to, to get us and rip us from our beds because we've, we've been terrible humans. You know, these kind of fantasies also exist within artificial intelligence. So part of the book as well was to kind of like explain what's actually happening in artificial intelligence and why there are some theoretical clarifications necessary. But even on that score, you know, in terms of the conceptual basis for to thinking about how intelligence relates to the question of knowledge and truth and the body, you know, this, this is where it starts to become psychoanalytic because psychoanalysis um, invokes the body in a way that uh, for philosophy is, has, a, has a sort of strange relationship as well. So there's a, a sort of difficulty when it comes to thinking about how we position truth and knowledge um, in relation to this supposed idea of a progression of intelligence, of an intelligent being becoming more and more intelligent. Because of course, within artificial intelligence, all that you really have is various different forms of intelligence that can be augmented and sort of accelerated, but you don't have a wholesale um, replication of a human mind. And so this kind of fantasy is one that obviously resides within are sort of science sci-fi images of of um of uh, artificial intelligence and one which is has as it as its heart the the kind of question of sexuality um which properly comes into some comes into the psychoanalysis of ai yeah you you focus on the sex bot as kind of like a vehicle for exploring this conversation and you were talking there about the importance of a body. So what, what is the importance of a body for an AI? What does it mean for an AI to be embodied? And, and does that automatically bring us into that realm where sex becomes something very important that we need to talk about in terms of how that AI functions in the world? Well, again, I think I have to return to your previous second part of your question, because I don't mm -hmm. think I've actually addressed it, um, which is really the, 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 the the meat of the book, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you said, what is psychoanalysis? Well, psychoanalysis is a very strange um, and misunderstood field, which on the one hand is a, a, is a uh, clinical practice. And on the other hand, it's a philosophical endeavor and a attempt to theorize what the speaking sex subject is. So in a sense, it's a challenge to some aspects of philosophy and that it uh, uses the idea of the unconscious, the idea of language, the idea of bodily enjoyment to problematize the supposedly self-evident kinds of knowledge that we have. And you know, most people will be familiar with um, the, the Freudian idea of the unconscious, the Freudian idea of um, various different psychic structures of neurosis, of, of, of psychosis, of perversion, these kinds of ideas that uh, Freud um, ha has as his basis for the whole beginning of psychoanalysis. And, you know, Lacan, who is the, the thinker who I draw on predominantly in this book, this is a Lacanian version of psychoanalysis that I use, um, was a French psychoanalyst who in the wake of, of Freud, um, started his own uh, school of psychoanalysis and it is you know probably one of the most influential figures 
in intellectual history in the 20th century, his, his work has influenced not just the field of psychoanalysis, but um, philosophy, critical theory, uh, feminist theory, art theory, political theory, you name it, people are still drawing on, on, on Lacan's work. And, you know, he enacted this return to Freud where he went back to Freud's work and, and wanted to retrieve the radical and subversive kernel of what he saw as, as Freud's contribution to the field of psychoanalysis. And, you know, because what, what, what he thought was happening is that Freud was becoming too, was being interpreted in too much of a sort of um, assimilative way, is that in American ego psychology, for example, was taking Freud's insights and making them into sort of um, therapeutic um, kinds of uh, psychologizing ways of making human beings fit into society. Whereas what Freud had did, done was to intervene at the most um, rudimentary level of, the, of human subjectivity to ask questions about how do we form our idea of ourselves? What is sexuality? How do children negotiate their relationship between their parents? How do they negotiate entrance into language? How is the body made up of all of these different drives that that um, make us behave in certain ways? You know, and these ideas for Lacan were so important that they had to be re-examined. And what he did to re-examine them was to um, use the sciences of his, his day, like uh, um, structural anthropology, um, Levi Strauss's structural anthropology. Uh, so Saul's linguistics and, of course, philosophy and literature and other resources that he had to, to really think about the Freudian edifice and interpret it in, in a very sort of groundbreaking way. So this question of the body is, is fundamental for psychoanalysis. It's the body uh, and language are the things that we have to think about when we're talking about um, subjectivity. So, of course, you can see there are all these concepts that when you start to think about artificial intelligence from a psychoanalytic perspective, you realize that it's even more complicated than it first seems because, you know, how can you replicate this idea of um, a body? What is a body, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so you can see that there's, um, it's a it's sort of error to already think that we can imagine uh, replicating versions of ourselves at this stage in our technological advancement. Yeah, because once we embody the AI, we unlock all of those philosophical quandaries that you just pointed to, right? Which exactly. And and one of those I think that you've uh, emphasized specifically is that of enjoyment, and I think you refer to it in the book as chouissance. Uh, I believe is chouissance. Yeah, Yeah. Um, what is it about? that aspect of enjoyment that is really relevant to, to artificial intelligences or embodied AI? Well, now that again is a very kind of long-winded question in the book because um, jouissance is a concept in psychoanalysis um, that has a sort of very long theoretical journey. Um, it starts off with um, Freud, with um, the idea of libido but of course it takes various different conceptual turns and Lacan uh, ultimately thinks about jouissance as what comes about via the incompleteness of knowledge the inconsistency of 
knowledge and the impossibility of forming a whole consistent um, idea of oneself via, via language. And that sounds like, what the hell does that even mean? And that's because that's what it's designed to do is to make you have to sort of unpack what something that seems so self-evident as enjoyment. Oh, that's enjoyment. We all know what that is, but actually is the most complicated and the most human and the most um, strange concept that we can imagine. And in fact, the one fundamental thing that um, distinguishes humans from virtually everything else in the universe. So this, this, this question of enjoyment is one which uh, goes through, as I say, various different twists and turns. And there are different ways that you can use it, but, but essentially what, what Lacan ends up with is talking about um, the idea of diff two different forms of enjoyment, which don't take this the wrong way because people think that this is something to do with men and women, and it's not really, but they're called phallic and other or feminine enjoyment. And men and women can both uh, use and employ and experience these forms of enjoyment. And there are many infights in, within the Lacanian field about what that means, but essentially what it means is there is a certain form of um, positioning within language that you will be subject to, which means that you are experience a feminine or a masculine form of enjoyment. But again, this is, does not just apply to human experience. It applies to a sort of more abstract level in which we can imagine talking about enjoyment on a sort of societal or um, political level. So the question of artificial intelligence is one which is also characterized by these forms of enjoyment. And they, uh, the creation of artificial intelligence is also uh, responding to these kinds of impasses and these kinds of questions about what it is to be a human being. And essentially this, this difference between masculinity and femininity here, uh, crucially for psychoanalysis, unlike most other ways of interpreting it, is not about two binaries, it's about two failed versions of subjectivity. So masculinity and femininity are both failed versions of trying to become a whole and neither of them are. And that's because of language is inherently uh, structurally incomplete. We can never express everything through language that, that we want to. And we are castrated by the symbolic, which enacts um, this sort of violence upon this uh, libidinal vortex that we are as, as biological entities. So that's the simplest way that I can explain what jouissance is. Um, so it does a lot of work in the book. It does a lot of hard work in the book. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to create an artificial intelligence that won't have to address these issues? Do you, like what what is the need to resolve these issues? I guess is my question because couldn't we create an AI that is embodied that doesn't need to to think about these? Uh, I guess these gendered aspects or some of these deeper philosophical things couldn't we program it maybe in such a way that it can be ignored of course we can and that's what yeah. people are doing mm -hmm. and it's not even it's not really it's not really the question of whether we can or we can't it's more the question of what question what what does it make us think about about when we interrogate ai from this perspective because you know when we have these fantasies about um artificial intelligence beings what's happening is that we are 
we're talking about ourselves most of the time. We're talking about things that we don't already understand about being human. And that's why it's very fascinating to, to see how these sort of fantasies reside in, for example, science fiction film and how you can, um, how you can kind of identify the different forms of, of thinking that exist within fantasies about AI. And yes, you, we, we can create forms of AI and people are creating forms of AI that don't have these problems. And, but that's, that's, that's kind of the point, isn't it? It's that we seem to have a very sort of rudimentary idea of what this strange thing of human thinking is. And it's right now still quite staggering that within the field of AI, there is so little sort of um, theoretical engagement with questions such as how, how is the concept of intelligence related to self-consciousness? And, you know, I would, from my perspective, say that the, the field of AI is mostly dominated by people from the sort of analytic philosophical tradition and not so much the um, continental philosophical tradition, which takes a very different view of this strange creature, the human being. And, you know, in the analytic tradition, it it's, fits much easily, more easily in the positivistic mathematical sciences and therefore is not really so much concerned with these annoying questions of you know like bodies and stuff you know what's that what's reproduction where did we come from who cares you know these kinds of questions big questions that can't be answered which is what psychoanalysis asks you know they're question they're impossible questions yeah do you think this is the result perhaps of what is very arguably a male dominated sphere when i think of people who are really creating technology and, and talking about the most, you know, obviously we think of Ray Kurzweil, who, you know, founded Singularity. We think of Elon Musk. Uh, we think of Bezos and, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of very, you know, it's a lot of masculine leadership that's driving the creation of technology. Um, and mm. even for that matter, creating the film, you know, a lot of the writers and directors that create the movies like her and Ex Machina, um, mm. I believe are all all men as well. So is there something to that that the 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 cultural narrative around technology is being driven by what I guess would be you know the the phallic energy or maybe the Absolutely. the masculine energy? Absolutely, yeah, and um, completely as well as in in most of the sciences that, that 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 is the case. But particularly, I think AI is one that is very male dominated, and um, you know the whole idea of of the of the female. It, recreating a female AI, I found really fascinating because it's it's a way of immediately kind of dramatizing and staging this question of sexual difference and the, the sort of epistemological question of sexual difference, which is why I'm interested in the in the book. One of the films that I uh, examine is Ex Machina because it's a uh, dramatization of the Turing test, which I'm sure most people listening to this will know that the Turing test was the sort of beginning of artificial intelligence. Um, and the, the, that, you know, Alan Turing himself was a homosexual man who was uh, chemically castrated because it was illegal at the time and he killed himself. And his, one of the aspects of the Turing test uh, that is often not talked about is the fact that it was, you know, one of the things that it had to, um, uh, do was to um, 
fool an interlocutor into thinking that you were a different gender by the use of language. So it was called the imitation game. And um, this idea, superficially, it seems to be about gender, and, and it was. But if you look at the film Ex Machina and you look at this uh, relationship between the female sex robot or sex bot and the male interlocutor, um, Caleb, he, and he's sent to sort of find out whether she can pass a Turing test. And she does. And how does she? She does it by making him fall in love with her. And so through this kind of um, communication between these two entities, one human, one non-human, supposedly, uh, this Turing test is enacted, but through it, what we're actually witnessing is a sort of staging of masculinity and femininity. He's asking her questions. He wants knowledge from her. And she is doing everything that she can to, um, to um, appease him and give him what he wants and sedu seduce him and embroil him in this sort of uh, game of seduction. And so we could say, oh, well, this is, you know, the, this is just a sort of, anti-feminist, you know, sexist portrayal of, of a sexy young robot, but actually there's something much more interest go interesting going on because she's actually sort of enacting this sort of feminine jouissance, this other jouissance, and he is stuck in the position, sort of traditional masculine position of wanting this, this obscure object of his desire, which he can't really get, he doesn't really understand. And she, on the other hand, we don't understand what she's, she's thinking and what she's doing and by the end of the film she's escaped and you know we'll, we'll, who will who knows what she'll do but the fact is you know she supposedly is an AI but the roles are reversed by the end of the film because she's put him in the position of the captive um robot she's outside in the world she's discovering she's becoming a human uh so this kind of dramatization of of the sort of sexual game this sort of sexual relation I think is very interesting to to look at and in the book I go through various different films examining in different ways the ways that psychoanalysis has a very interesting um, role to play in and understanding our relationship to artificial intelligence and how we don't really understand it and and that is because of a sort of structural incompleteness about knowledge itself yeah is, is film where we're doing most of our philosophical thinking about these questions rather than in the the tech uh you know businesses and companies do you feel like that's kind of what's happening here yes completely i mean all the most interesting things i've seen about or you know heard about are coming from cinema maybe i'm not looking in the right places but i haven't you know read anything as interesting as some of the films that the kind of concepts that are, are treated in in some of the films about AI and you know there's lots of obvious reasons for that because film is a a place where you you can truly speculate on things that aren't currently possible and the problem with the tech industry is that um you know it's restricted by capitalism <laughs> it's restricted by the limitations put on um the the, the capacities of of you know how people who are trained to work in these industries are not necessarily trained to think critically or not necessarily trained to think philosophically. So it's a kind of like very divided um, world, I think. And I think it's it would benefit from a lot more kind of interdisciplinary humanities and people working really on the question of what is the human um, mm. in, in, in these places, yeah. I'm not sure uh, how much Lacan 
deals with this subject, but I'm more of a fan of Jung. I, that's at least my knowledge that comes from. Um, and I've always thought about what's taking place a lot right now in our film and in our storytelling uh, is is what I would call like shadow projection, right? Where we've kind of repressed the parts of ourselves that we don't accept that society doesn't talk about. Maybe that's something like sex and we project it into our stories and, and kind of put it out there in the world so that we can attack it and learn about it. And, you know, really what we're doing is we're trying to learn about ourselves by taking that part of ourselves that we don't accept and making it part of the world around us. Do you, I don't know, is that something that you look at at all in, in your field of psychoanalysis? And is that something that you feel is happening with our stories and with our film? Is that we're trying to have that dialogue with ourselves in that kind of external way? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the sort of psychoanalysis in in um, film theory is, has a very long, rich history of, um, you know, really looking at the ways that film has this capacity to to ask questions about humanity, to ask philosophical questions and to uh, without, you know, being explicit, without being um, didactic or without sort of trying to explain difficult concepts, film has a way of showing the concept has you know has a way of situating you in sort of positions that you would never be able to be in uh, not just dramatically or emotionally but also um you know logically you know there are there are ways to portray what it is to be a, a human body um how to move through space and time how to accelerate decelerate the process of growing and aging and you know all of these things that film can do allow us to kind of experiment with 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 sci-fi and actually you know artificial intelligence is just as much a product of sci-fi as it is of actual scientific development in fact you could say well it is sci-fi it only ever came from sci-fi if it wasn't for narrative and story and um fantasy we wouldn't have artificial intelligence at all um and and that's actually where it where it did grow from you know the all the different um fantasies that people have had throughout the ages about the idea of the automaton or the idea of the um the alien you know the idea of uh recreating a, a monster these are all science fiction these are all fantasy yeah do, do you think that um kind of switching gears a little bit here this just got me thinking as we do push forward with this technology, do you think our language is going to update? You were talking about before, you know, I think you were basically alluding to the fact that words try to capture something that's ephemeral and abstract and put it in this little tiny box and there's always going to be something lost. And I'm wondering if we have something like AI or we have things like people changing genders in avatars and games or... um being on social media and being able to pretend to be a different gender or sex. Do, do these kind of technological changes you think update the psychoanalytical field? Does it update our understanding and maybe improve it by giving us new language to talk about these things? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, another part of the book um, important to say is that actually it's not just sort of interrogating artificial intelligence and sort of slapping, slapping its wrist. It's, you know the opposite way as well applies it's, it's to put um, psychoanalysis in the position of um having to update itself as well to deal with the new types of human being to do with the new challenges of technology and to move psychoanalysis along with conceptual and philosophical changes as well in the way that we, we talk about um human bodies for example 
you know, no, no, no discourse is um, immune from needing to refresh itself. And one of the, the uh, motivations for writing the book was that I was actually very much engaged with clinical psychoanalysis and learning about the clinic and training with clinicians. So when I was hearing all of the kind of clinical changes in the way that they were updating their um, sort of nosiological um, um, diagnostic categories in how they're thinking about the contemporary subject, I was struck by the way that it was really fascinating and really interesting how psychoanalysis has had to move along with uh, civilizational changes in the way that they diagnose and the way that they treat or, you know, in psychoanalysis, we don't talk about um, uh, curing people or, or making people happy. It's um, a little bit more uh, skeptical than that on the possibility of human happiness, but um, essentially how to orient the analysis because the orientation in psychoanalysis um, is the cure, sorry, I should say, is, is, is oriented along um, the lines of the structure of subjectivity. and this has a history going back to Freud, et cetera. But essentially what, what was being noticed that was that human beings were organizing themselves in various different ways and they weren't, and it was important to, to recognize this in order to efficiently deal with the way that humans experience trauma and experience um, their bodies and experience what we would put in inverted commas of madness, you know, because of course madness for psychoanalysis is, is again, a term that we don't use because there isn't such a thing as madness as everybody's mad to a greater or lesser, lesser degree. Um, so because of this, I also I felt that psychoanalysis needed to also engage with uh, contemporary trends in uh, critical theory and philosophy. Uh, people like, for example, Jean Baudrillard, uh, Francois Lyotard, uh, Frederick Kittler, people who were talking about uh, technology and things like AI and simulation in the future um and were sort of post-Lacanian thinkers and I I found that this clinical um development needed to like refresh itself in step with these kind of these these trends that had been happening over the last 20 to 30 years so you know yes the fact that technology is changing our bodies the fact that our bodies can now have the opportunity to change more um when we want them to means that psychoanalysis has to move along in step with that as well yeah and do you think we're gonna have a lot about ourselves revealed in in maybe better or worse ways and for instance i think of um i i wonder with something like a sex bot are we gonna see things like um you know schadenfreude where like people are taking pleasure from abusing these these sex bots in the same way people take pleasure it seems that sometimes and and yelling angrily at their siri or at their you know echo or at the the personal assistant ai that's in their house like do you think there's potential that i guess our consciousness could be shifting in negative ways as we respond to the ability to have almost like a you know for lack of a better word almost like a slave well absolutely but the the, the thing is is that human beings are already doing that now i mean mm -hmm human beings have been treating other human beings like slaves and continue to treat them like slaves even now even when slavery is not legal so you know there are many ways that this is pervasive you know sexism racism um xenophobia 
all of the horrible things about human being are obviously just going to continue in our relationship to to artificial intelligence that's that's undoubted and you know in on the question of this the sex bot or the sex robot yeah of course they're going to be used as you know objects of abuse just as women are now you know the you know in the sex industry women are used to be uh, as objects of abuse all the time just people don't talk about it in polite society but that is a, you know a, that is what human beings do so the idea that they wouldn't do that also to, to things that they believe are not human or yeah but probably they're probably nicer to their robots because they don't want to don't want to damage them that's the thing that it costs money well, I guess that's my question is like, do you think technology or like an embodied AI would potentially act as almost like a pressure release valve on some of these bad behaviors? Give us a, maybe we treat each other better because we have this object that we can uh, throw our negative behavior at, or might it instead wire us to see people as objects in the same way we, you know, maybe see the sex bot? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's just that, that's the sort of age-old question, isn't it? Is there such a thing as cathartic release that is can be beneficial? And, you know, is there such a thing as taking your anger out on a not a real woman, a fake woman, in order so that you don't do it to a real woman? I mean, I'm inclined to say no. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, psychoanalysis teaches you that there is no avoiding human cruelty. There is no avoiding uh, human desires and the complexity of sexuality and the sort of unrespectability um, of it. There is no normative sexuality. There is no right way. But of course, there is abuse. There is, uh, you know, violence. There is rape. There is all of these things that still exist that have this very strange relationship when it comes to actually realistically talking about what sex is because when you try to sort of um sanitize the whole of sex and you, what you end up doing is pretending sex is something that it that it isn't and that's why it's always important to i think psychoanalysis needs to come in much more when we talk about uh, sexuality because it problematizes things that we think we understand about um, consent, about violence, about fantasy, about all of these things that may or may not exist um, in different shades and degrees um, between between people engaging in a sexual relationship. And, you know, these things are not clear, as we know, they're not. And as we've seen in the, the last couple of decades, the shift, the sudden monumental shift, when suddenly people are realising, oh, I didn't know that wasn't, okay and men are suddenly surprised and it's like well you know you can't really be surprised but people will you know if you live in a culture where things are accepted it's okay of course but it, you know the story is more complex you know it's not it's not as simple as to say is women like this and men shouldn't do that because pe what people want and what people get aren't you know aren't the same thing so I think that yes, technology exposes all the terrible things about us and also all the amazing things about us as well. But it's important to always be critical and always to be looking at the other side of things and the unsaid things and the hidden things, which is what psychoanalysis is so great at doing is unearthing all the terrible, scary things about humans, about culture, but also about ourselves, you know, our own desires. What are the desires that we 
have that we don't act upon or that you know society doesn't allow and which of those desires we have to reckon with ethically are okay desires but they're not accepted by society or they really aren't good and whether our society condones them or not they're just bad you know and this is the whole negotiation between societal ethics and psychoanalytic ethics which is another very huge part of psychoanalysis which is a negotiation between the subjective question of the ethical desiring subject and how that fits into the law in in general and um and culture so so do you have an interest in i guess artificial intelligence uh, obtaining some sort of consciousness or or the way that the subjective experience of the ai exists or is it more about the way this reflects who we are as people like do you think there's something i mean are you excited about the potential that ai could become conscious and have these these philosophical quandaries or is that less interesting to you than yeah, I mean, than for us i'm more interested in in thinking about it because it makes us think about what thinking is mm. <laughs> i mean classic philosophical answer like it's meta everything is meta as far as i'm concerned it's a way of asking different questions and new questions so in a sense i'm kind of less interested in the kind of actual real uh development of, of AI as it is now. People send me all the time the latest things that's happening in AI research. And, and I'm really glad that people do because it's nice. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, the, the latest horror story about what an AI is doing, I sort of think it's interesting, but it's kind of always still stuck within this paradigm of, of kind of surveillance, for example, or the kind of administration of desire and how it will becoming, you know, completely detached from each other and all these kind of very familiar tropes but you know one day something will happen and we will go oh my god shit you know this is interesting and there's a new question to be had there are new there are new ideas and that's why I find film fascinating because it gives you it makes you go oh my god um and it doesn't have to be AI for example you know like the film Arrival with um it's a it's Dennis Villeneuve isn't it and Amy Adams and when she encounters a, a different species and she has to understand because she's a linguist and she has to try to work out what this strange language they're speaking is which is only via ink symbols and she eventually realizes they operate in a whole different spatio-temporal dimension to her and that film is so amazing to me because it's it makes you think different questions about human beings and about encountering different forms of thoughts so this is what I'm really interested in, you know and this this so but it's just because AI is one of those places that you can find those things mm -hmm. Yeah, looking forward, what what would you, I guess, offer up as guidance to either individuals who are just interested in this subject or developers of artificial intelligence? Um, what what like what are some of the kind of the main ideas that you really want to get people thinking about with this book as they think about where we're going in this future? I mean, I think. First of all, the question of, you know, subjectivity, the question of um, the body, the question of speech, the question of enjoyment and how we've got to. Before we start thinking about what artificial intelligence is, we have to start thinking about what human intelligence is, and that take, brings with it, you know, all of the philosophical problems that arise when you realize that the human being is not just a biological entity. It's not just a scientifically observable entity. It's something much more difficult and complicated than that. And 
you know, psychoanalysis, one of the key um, sort of contributions to knowledge, as it were, that psychoanalysis does, is to is to ask the question, uh, what would a science be that that contains psychoanalysis within it? So Lacan was really interested in trying to figure out how psychoanalysis fit within the sciences, because, you know, Freud was obsessed with trying to make science, you know, psychoanalysis fit with certain sciences of his day. Um, and he was really interested in the sort of intricacies of, of the sort of human organism. And through that, he came about understanding that actually there was this thing called, you know, uh, the body that didn't necessarily respond to science in the way that the sciences at the time wanted it to. Hence the discovery of the, um, you know, Freud's discovery of, of, of the hysteric symptom was his, the beginning of psychoanalysis, which was women who experienced bodily uh, symptoms that could not be explained by the medical sciences of the day. Hence, you know, the talking cure, Freud started to speak to these women and find out listening to their stories and listening to their words and their, you know, um, narrative about what, what was it that was haunting them, them. And ultimately these were question, sexual questions. And when I say sexual, I don't just mean, you know, just actual sex. I mean, the sort of structural question of sexuality as a problem for human beings. And he discovered that this was something that couldn't be captured by science. It was something that needed psychoanalysis as well to understand how the subject fits into scientific discourse and how we factor in this kind of blind spot of subjectivity. And, and so Lacan took that idea to the nth degree and he was he worked through all kinds of philosophical thinkers and um, philosophers of science, epistemologists, um, to kind of understand this question. And it's such a complicated one, but, uh, you know, he goes back to, to Descartes, he, he goes through Plato, he goes through um, Pascal, he goes through um, Shakespeare, he, he goes through linguistics, uh, structural anthropology, you know, poetry, he uses all these resources to try and think about what is this, how do we fit this into the sciences? How do we fit this speaking subject into the sciences? So what I would say is what is that people need to read more Lacan, I mean, but not just Lacan, people need to understand that all of these things are connected and there is got, there's no one scientific way of, of understanding AI. And I suppose the, the takeaway message for, the, for, the, for this particular um, conversation, I guess, would be because, you know, you're in the AI industry, I guess, and that is what, a place where science dominates. And so I, I guess it would be to say that science needs to be less complacent about its place within epistemological um, advancement of human knowledge. Yeah, maybe a little less reductionism. Exactly. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I know we're coming up on time here and I want to respect yours, Isabel. So any closing thoughts or words or anything you want to promote or tell people about? Obviously, we'll we'll link to the book, but um, anything you're working on or want to share? Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, obviously the book is The Psychoanalysis of Artificial Intelligence, and I'm sure you'll put the link in that's available. And um, I'm working on my next book, which is called Patai Politics, and that will be out with Bloomsbury next year. Um, so, yeah, all my all my stuff can be found on my website, um, videos and talks with, with all lots of interesting people as well. So, um, yeah, be good to to um, see if if people can emerge, merge these thoughts with more kind of like um, industry led ideas that will be interesting to see. <laughs>